Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch, this is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every week. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Ryan Smith, Features Editor at the Dispatch, and I'd like to wish you a belated Happy New Year. All of us here at the paper are super excited about 2020 and all the great stories just waiting to be discovered. But before we go too far ahead of ourselves, let's take a few moments to look back at the decade that just ended. Everyone likes to talk about the biggest stories, the life-changing ones, and there were many of those reported in the pages of our paper. But how about the fun ones, the weird ones? We here in the Features Department love those in particular, and we put our heads together to come up with some of our favorites. Today, I'm here with my colleagues, reporters Allison Ward and Ken Gordon, to talk about some of the stories from the last 10 years that made us all go, hmm... Allie, why don't you start us off? You not only were here when we reported on the opening of BrewDog's Boutique Hotel in Canal Winchester in 2018, but you got the chance to experience it firsthand as a guest. Tell us what makes it so unusual there. Well, it was a place that we had been to a bunch of times, but we hadn't actually stayed out there because it's in our own town. But we decided to do a little bit of a staycation back in April of last year. And... Yeah, it's great. You check in, they give you a key, and they're like, here's a beer. And you get a free tour of the brewery, which also includes beer, you know, with your kind of check-in. The rooms are very spacious, and one of my favorite parts was you, you know, walk out your door and you smell the hops and you smell the barley, and because it's literally overlooking their big production facility there. And, you know... If you want to, you can get a tap put in your room. That's like an extra charge. But for everyone who checks in, there is a... We had trouble finding it, but there is a mini fridge in your bathroom. It's like into the tile wall. And it's filled with all sorts of their beers. And even they have the other breweries beers in there too and um the whole point of that is to have a shower beer (laughs) which you know is that you know pop popular not a shower of beer (laughs) which is kind of like that popular pop culture term and um you know we we had a great time when we were there it's they have tons of games like you have access to the whole restaurant and uh, you know all the brewery amenities that are there too you know and i did have if anyone's wondering i did have a shower beer it was you know like 10 o'clock in the morning on a saturday and i was taking a shower and i i just felt like i had to do it i had to take one for the team and how Um, was it it was great you know uh they have some great beers out there and you know it's an expensive stay even for one night but it was a good time Allie, question i'm assuming they charge you by the beers yes you are charged like a mini fridge you are charged by the beer but they're kind of just typical prices they're just like five bucks i think a a piece it wasn't like anything and they and they have some of the the beers that they have on tap for the hotel like they are only for the hotel so those were something that we enjoyed was you know getting that exclusivity of something that you couldn't get elsewhere so and it's called the doghouse 
Yes, correct. I think, yeah. I think so. Is there anywhere in the hotel that you don't have? If you're, you know, you're not within arm's reach of a beer. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Since they hand you one <laughs> on entry. Actually, now that I'm remembering, there are two mini fridges. There's one like, in, in, and the rooms are big. They're like they they're kind of like suites. It's kind of like got a kitchen, little kitchen area, and then it's got you know a, a sofa area and then like kind of the bed area so it is they are nice big rooms but there are in that that small space there are there are too many fridges you, you'll have to forgive Allie if she's forgotten a few of the details <laughs> <laughs> i have to ask i feel a little bit weird but you mentioned the shower beer since there is you're within arm's reach in the bathroom are there any other sort of beers you have to enjoy while you're in that particular room <laughs> No, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, yes. Um, so, <laughs> moving on. One, well, no, I will tell you one disappointing thing is, is it's not actually in the shower. Like, I thought, because it's a nice big shower with, you know, all tile, and they have their own shampoo, and that is made from... Beer? Beer. Not beer, but I think it's, like, made... <laughs> I, I don't know. They look like nice shampoos, but it's, like, beh- it was, like, behind the bathroom door, so we had we actually had to call down to our the front desk because we're like where's the shower beers we couldn't find them and it was it's like in the bathroom so you couldn't like if you were in the shower you couldn't reach the shower beers was that was a little bit of a letdown you had to like take two steps out of the shower so you had to make sure you had your supplies before you got into the shower and i apologize for those of you listening that you can't see how red i am right now for my very awkward suggestion (laughs) that there might be such thing as a toilet beer um (laughs) i mean it's bathroom beer you know (laughs) just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can move on to uh, another personal experience you actually had, Allie, years earlier over at at a crew soccer game. Uh, What happened there that happened to make our list? Yeah, so we moved to Columbus in 2012. And uh, side note, my husband, before we even found an apartment or any place to live, he went to Crew Stadium to sign up to be season ticket holders. (laughs) So starting, you know, in 2013, it was our first kind of full season with the team. And we were, you know, pretty pumped up in April 2013. It it was a cold, it was kind of a cold day, starting to warm up, but still cold day. And we were tailgating. And all of a sudden we look up and there's smoke everywhere. The scoreboard had caught on fire. And anyone who's been a crew fan for any length of time knows what a crappy... (laughs) <laughs> scoreboard that is um in video board and I still don't think it's changed you know and it had caught on fire and it delayed the game for remarkably only an hour for how much smoke and fl- you saw flames or your fire trucks coming in you know looking back at the stories that Adam Jardy our crew beat reporter at the time had written it like slowed down traffic on I-71 that passes right by crew sta- crew now called Mafre Stadium you know it turns out it was an electrical issue but it would just it's one of those things that kind of sticks with you as a sports fan for a a while I think I don't know if Amage did them or someone did shirts that were like I survived the crew scoreboard you know fire (laughs) and you know just one of those kind of things that you you remember and will remember for a while it was kind of even though 
Ken and I did not cover that story by any means. It was both kind of came to the forefront when we were thinking about kind of these weird stories from the decade. Now, Ken, I know you're more of a baseball fan. Remember Ted Williams? Yeah, yeah. and not the splendid splinter. You're not talking about the 1940s baseball star. No, yeah, Ted Williams uh, actually was discovered by one of our own, Doral Chenoweth, a dispatch photographer and videographer who just has sort of an eye for the moment. And he pulled up at an at a off-ramp on I-71 in Columbus. This is in January 2011, early in the decade. And it was a panhandler there with, with a sign, a little cardboard sign, and basically was saying that he was had a golden voice and used to be a radio broadcaster and he'd fallen on hard times. And Doral, I believe, you know, was at a light or something, had a minute to sort of take this in. And uh, rolled down the window and started engaging him in conversation. And uh, Ted started telling him his story, you know, hard luck story of, you know, falling into drugs and this and that. And so Doral, I believe, gave him some some money and then said, give me a, a little demonstration of your golden voice and turned on the video camera. And what came out of that was a remarkable uh, starting startlingly. That's hard to say obviously professional radio voice this amazing baritone voice and, and he did a little introduction anyway so the, the video went viral i mean immediately just went viral nationwide ted williams became an overnight sensation the guy was invited to today show you know all these morning shows in new york was whisked off was got all these job offers from the cleveland cavaliers gave him a job offer craft macaroni and cheese to do voiceovers well it wasn't as smooth sailing i mean as anyone who's kind of plucked out of that situation and thrown into such a spotlight you know ted unfortunately had some relapse issues he had uh i think he he made a lot of money on some of these uh endorsements early on but then lost it all supposedly a bad business manager so but the good news is that, you know, the latest I can find on Ted Williams was from last fall, and he was motivational speaking at a church in California. He seemed like he was doing well. He had reconciled with some of his estranged children that he'd had over the years, claimed to be clean and sober for years now, and is working on a pilot episode for a reality show called, of all things, Second Chance. Ah, so, nice. Yeah. Really an amazing story, though, and it really did capture, this wasn't, I mean, this was a national story eight, nine years ago. Well, speaking of golden voices, many people know that Taylor Swift performed here two summers ago, and in fact, it feels like most people say that they were there at that concert. There's certainly room for them, but fewer remember the time that she made a more under-the-radar visit to our neck of the woods. Allie, what was the occasion for her visit back then? Yeah, back in 2014, and kind of that was like the year of Taylor, you know, or that that time she was already a huge, huge superstar and just was having hit after hit. She came to the far north side here in Columbus to attend a super fan's bridal shower. She, I guess this fan, um, Taylor, had built up a relationship over, you know, many meet and greets and via social media. And, you know, she in, she had invited the singer to come to her wedding and she was, uh, Taylor was unable to make it, um, but she came and made a surprise visit to this woman's bridal shower. And that was like another big story, you know, little thing. And I, uh, reading back at the stories, you know, the bride did not, wouldn't even talk to to the dispatch because she just was afraid. She didn't want to say anything that like made ruined her relationship with with Taylor. So we had, to, but she of course posted everything on social media for people to see. You know, pictures of pictures of her with Taylor. You know what? I guess she gifted. It was like a mixer, a and kitchen, other kinds yeah. Of yeah, a KitchenAid mixer, which is like the the quintessential bridal gift to give and get. But it's a pricey one. They're like three hundred and some dollars. So definitely a good gifter there with with Taylor. So <laughs> I would hope, yes. 
Now, we all know, especially in our department, that life is full of weirdness, um, but death can be full of it, too. And I, in particular, remember a guy who was buried in a Pringles can um, a number of years ago. I, th- I think I he want to hear more inventor. about that. I yeah. know. I know. There was a whole thing. I think he worked for How Procter large Gamble. Of a well, was he can. creaming it or no? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> oh, man. Some We're more research yeah, right. required on this one. But we actually had our own unusual funeral here in 2014, right, Ken? Yeah, so about six years ago, a man named Bill Stanley uh, died, and he's from Mechanicsburg, Ohio, which is a little bit west of, of Columbus, but he had been planning this this funeral apparently for 18 years. He's a huge motorcycle aficionado. This story is kind of like, you know, Easy Rider meets Weekend at Bernie's, because what <laughs> he did in his death was he had the whole thing planned out. He had to buy three plots, first of all, at the, ceremony, at the uh, cemetery, just to fit this modified septic tank that was the vault that he was buried in because he was buried astride his beloved 1967 Harley Davidson. And he had to actually check with the Department of Health to see about regulations. And they said, you've got to make sure there's no oil or gas or anything like that in this Harley when it's when you're buried. He had to be basically wired upright onto the motorcycle. That's why I'm talking about Weekend at Bernie's. Like a big brace going up his back. 82 years old the man was. He lived a full and rich life. And he was buried uh, astride his Harley. And I believe the bottom of the casket was painted like road asphalt black with a stripe down the middle. So he's uh, still riding the highways into eternity. So what? And Bill I Stanley. Just, I just remember the photo, like the photo oh, yeah. that we ran on A1 that day was of this contraption, like riding down the highway of him in this enclosure on the Harley. And, you know, he's a dead body. Yes, and it, it was a remarkable story, but also remarkable photos there. I don't remember which pho- photographer you, took those. You need to Google that, uh, listeners, because we can't show you that photo, obviously, but it's worth looking up. Promises to my family, I will not be buried in my Chevy Cruze. Okay, <laughs> nothing to worry about there. It's not beloved like the Harley. <laughs> so now we finally get to the part where I get to say the two words I've been waiting to say for this whole podcast, potato stock. And that was, I think, probably the first thing that came up when we started to think about all of you know what, what we might want to talk about or what we might want to write about when it comes to weird stories of the last decade. Allie, what was potato stock and how did it come to be? Well, I was racking my brain to try to figure out how I first heard about this. And I'm sure it was somewhere on social media, but I could not tell you. But I kind of came in the next morning and I was like, you know what? Someone has raised 55 at the time. It wasn't quite that much, but it was kind of in the $30,000 range. Someone in Columbus has raised $30,000 to make potato salad. You know what Kickstarter is, is it's this platform that allows like business opportunities and arts opportunities and you know, people trying to raise money for some type of endeavor can go on there and they can raise funds. This guy, Zach Danger Brown, his his, 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 Danger. his middle name was Danger. That's how he wanted. He just was having some fun with some friends and someone had said, have you ever made potato salad? He said, no. The next day he said, I'm going to make it, but I need 10 bucks for ingredients. And he thought, hey, how fun would this be to just put it on Kickstarter and see what happens? And it went crazy. And the crazier it got, the more people wanted to be a part of it. I talked to people who donated and they are just like... Like, how could I not? Like, how could I not say, you know, I want to be able to say that I was part of this potato salad phenomenon that, you know, happened over a couple days. And we did multiple stories with Zach and he just was a guy from Upper Arlington, just kind of doing his thing. And he raised, I think, the 
final total was like $55,000 and he did a couple things with with it. He he did end up having some big party where they had a bunch of potato salad served. Columbus and it, Commons, it was, was it not? Yeah, yeah, down at the Columbus Commons, you know, kind of about a year, year or so later. And he had some opportunities too where he, Idaho, a potato some potato association out there brought him out so, governor so he got he you know got a trip to idaho we haven't caught up with him in a while but that might be fun to see you know well, he, and, and he wrote a cookbook we discovered oh did too. you yeah he did like 23 potato salad recipes with some famous chef or something so. yeah just kind of one of those moments in time i think a lot of people just wanted to be a part of and probably looking back like we did and saying hey i donated 10 bucks to, to potato stock and you know for, for the laughs and the and the memories of it, and part of that money was also given to charity. Right? Yeah, Am I right? Yeah, or? I I do not think he pocketed. I mean, he probably pocketed some, but I don't think he pocketed a whole bunch of the money. He did seem to do some some things with it, but he could have just pocketed the whole thing because that's how Kickstarter works. Like, there's no Kickstarter works in that like you you kind of sign off like if this business endeavor doesn't work, you know, it's your loss and. You know, this was one of those things. Like, if he doesn't make potato salad, so it was really, it was really a really fun story. Meanwhile, my wife would pay me ten bucks to not make potato salad. Yeah, I also, <laughs> I also do not like potato salad, so that's why I did not get any of it. It's my so. favorite. I did, if I had I'd been here at the time, I definitely would have contributed. <laughs> one of the great things about being in our department is that you get to really become fascinated with the stories that you get to write. And I know Ken, both you and I became endlessly fascinated with one story that we actually dedicated a whole podcast to when it happened, uh, and that involved Il Canone, the most famous violin that I'd never heard of until it came here. But it caused quite a stir. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what was unique about that? I mean, for folks who don't know what this violin is, it's basically like a Stradivarius, if you've ever heard of that. It's probably one of the most famous violins in the world. It was played by Paganini, who's one of the virtuoso Italian violinists of all time. And it's, upon his death, uh, eventually ended up being donated to his hometown, the city of um, Genoa, Italy, where it's housed in a museum under constant surveillance and climate-controlled temperature. I mean, this is like a treasure. It's an Italian treasure. It's like the Mona Lisa, almost, in, in Italy. And one of the stipulations is it's just very rarely taken out and played by anybody. Maybe once or twice a year in Genoa, folks come to the museum, they take it out and it's performed, but it very rarely leaves the the city, let alone the country. I think it had last been out of the country in 2003, I believe. However, Columbus has a sister city relationship with Genoa because that's the hometown of Christopher Columbus. So that's been a long time partnership. Anyway, long story short, the Il Canoni was allowed to come to Columbus to be played by concertmaster of the Columbus Symphony, Joanna Frankel. This was last uh, summer. And what struck me, you know, you get these press releases and it's like, okay, you know, we're going to host this this violin. Well, big deal. Well, the security around it, the stipulations, it has to ride in an armored car. It has to be like, have its own seat on the plane. It only gets the blue M&Ms. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, and I understand it because it's worth an estimated $35 million. So I understand that. But that struck me. So the tone of the article really was a little bit tongue in cheek, keeping in mind that this was still a very serious cultural endeavor. So it was a lot of fun to write about. We followed up with the trip to the museum, Columbus Museum of Art, where it was held before the concert, when the concertmaster was allowed to go and rehearse for 30 minutes under strict supervision with, you know, people removing it, uh, you know, with white gloves. And it was like a church. It was like a religious experience, you know, to watch this happen. It was really amazing. I'll say I took both of my boys to hear uh, the violin played when the Columbus Symphony performed with it a couple nights or after the practice, right, I believe. Right. 
aside from the fact that both of them fell asleep, I can tell you <laughs> that it was a lovely performance and was really fun because as soon as it was done, it wasn't, they didn't use it for the entire program. And as soon as it was done, a guy comes from off stage, grabs it, you know, it looks like he kind of handcuffs himself to it. So shows it up to the audience, we clap, and then walks off stage. And yeah. it almost feels like a joke. Uh, that guy that this traveled. Is happening. That, that guy is the keeper of Il Canoni. He traveled from Genoa. He's actually an American, uh, actually, oh, from Michigan. And that's he, an interesting uh, story. He lives in Genoa, and that's has been his full-time job for like 15 years. Oh, I need that job. Yeah, that sounds go. really good. <laughs> Travel the world with the violin. <laughs> right. And you don't even have to play it. You right. Have- Just handle it. <laughs> So these are some of our favorite stories from the past decade, and we're really looking forward to a decade of more great and fun and unusual stories. So thanks to all of you. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Allie, for joining me here today. And here's to a great 2020. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.